From the Third Coast International Audio Festival and Chicago Public Radio, I'm Gwen Maxi, and this is ReSound. You had another thing coming. You can't do that to people. ReSound is a remix of music, documentaries, found sound, sound bites, and audio tidbits we collect from all over the world. If it's on the air or the internet, we're listening, curating, and bringing you the best of what we hear. And thank you for hurting my feelings and for ruining my birthday. I really appreciate that. Don't worry about anybody but yourself. Nothing intrigues me more than a blinking light on my answering machine. The mystery of the messages, the possibility of great news, the sweet anticipation of pressing play. Because a message is only part of a bigger story. It's a clue to a conversation that came before or an invitation to one that lies ahead. A message is like a little door opening into a much larger room. Today on ReSound, phone messages, written messages, messages from the past, even messages in a bottle bobbing out at sea that wash ashore and eventually change hundreds of lives. How can I communicate with you when all you do is yell and scream at me? Digging around in her parents' basement, producer Mira Bertwintonic unearthed an old cassette with the words, Muriel's message scrawled on the side. She popped it in her tape deck, listened, and discovered, among many other things, that the sound of a voice captures dimensions of memory that a photo or written words never can. Hello, do you hear me? You're recording? I thought you said we shouldn't. This is, uh, what is this called? It was A few weeks ago, I found a box of old audio tapes in my parents' basement. Most of them were mixtapes I'd made in high school, filled with three-chord grunge and angry rocker girls belting out their post-teenage angst. But beneath these mixes, right at the bottom of the box, was a plain black tape Scribbled on one side in shiny brown ink were the words Muriel's message. Muriel was my grandmother on my mother's side. She died about 10 years ago, asleep in bed at the age of 79. Muriel was a painter, a poet, an art therapist, a teacher. She was a single mom in the 50s, a gardener in her 70s a philosopher, intellectual, and activist all her life. And up until I turned 12, when she passed away, she was my best friend, too. She was the kind of grandmother who thought Lewis Carroll had discovered the meaning of life when he chased Alice down the rabbit hole. She was the kind of grandmother who would get calls in the middle of the night from a frantic neighbor asking her to analyze their dreams. And she was the kind of grandmother who knew exactly what to tell them when they did. But mostly, she was the kind of grandmother who would spoil you plain rotten, because you were the only child of her only child, and so the only granddaughter she would ever know. Looking at the tape in my hand, I wondered what kind of message it could be. Some posthumous guidance from beyond the grave, or maybe a long-held family secret, confessed at last to the bipartisan particles of magnetic tape. 
I hurried upstairs, slid it into my stereo, and pressed play. Muriel Bird here. I'll call you right back. Uh, 681-8305 here. The message played over and over again on a loop. Not quite the revelation I'd imagined, but somehow I couldn't stop listening. The first few times I wondered if the tape had been mislabeled. Was that really her speaking? Was that really what she sounded like? Muriel Bird speaking. How could I not remember? The longer I listened, the more familiar her voice became. And with it came a rush of long-forgotten memories. Now there are photos of my grandmother all over our house. Some tucked neatly into their picture frames, while others fight with post-it notes and grocery lists for prime real estate on a refrigerator door. Somehow none of them had ever made me stop and think about her. The way hearing her voice after all these years made me stop and think about her. It made me think about taking the train to her house in London, Ontario every summer and climbing the huge crab apple tree in her backyard. It made me think about driving out to the chip wagon on the beach so we could throw our french fries in the air under a sky of swarming seagulls. It made me think about the way she smelled when I'd snuggle up to her on the couch for a bedtime story. The perfect mix of soap suds and wriggly spearmint gum. And it made me think about our giggle fits on lazy afternoons when all we needed was each other's company. my grandmother's memory as much as I thought I had. Memories aren't meant to get stuck in your head like some cheesy love song. They lay still and quiet below the hum of everyday life until the sound of someone's voice allows them to resurface. The same crocodile had as can be. He went snap and then there were one. One little monkey swinging a tree. Along came a crocodile as quiet as can be. The monkey said, you can't catch me. Could we do one in French together? Oh, maybe in English. Okay. Love is something that you give it away. Give it away. Give it away. Love is something that you give it away. And you end up having more. Just like a penny. A what kind of a penny? Just like, like a, a magic penny. penny. Hold, Hold it and tight, you don't have any. Send, Send it, land it, it, you'll just have some many. many. Set the roller over the, the floor. floor. Now it's time for bedtime and story time. So good night, everybody. The end of the program. Muriel's Message was produced by Mira Burt-Wintonic. Mira won the Best New Artist Award for the 2006 Third Coast Festival Richard H. Driehaus Foundation competition. 
Please leave a message at the tone, thanks. Someone's left you a message. Words can be such clumsy tools of communication. It's never easy to say exactly what we want to say. One man decided to solve the problem by taking a vow of silence, which worked well for him, until, that is, he met someone that he really, really wanted to talk to. He would sit in the corner and he would read and he was silent and he was, uh, for all intents and purposes, supposedly a monk. And I was so I left him alone and he left me alone. He ignored me and um, I didn't speak with him years, because I figured that's what you do period. with people who are monks is, you know, talk to them, especially if they're choosing to be silent. I, was lousy. Yeah, I, didn't really I went on the for a long time. Monk. I'd see him every <laughs> evening in the famous kitchen reading in the corner and I ignored him and he ignored me. So, uh, but at least I didn't antagonize but any actually, women. He wasn't I mean, ignoring I, me I was pretty good later. partly because he was I was silent interested in me that whole time and also because I, I just couldn't get involved in something I knew I couldn't finish you know um, although there was this very peculiar incident that happened where he I was in the farmhouse kitchen so, yeah. I was having a conversation so I see this girl with another and uh, person my mind and says um, that woman's trouble I had absolutely nothing to do with her which for I didn't nine appreciate. months. That was quite and easy. And wrote on his board something like, easy. what would you say if I asked you to marry and me? And so the first thing I ever remember saying to her, outside of something that might have been strictly business That was business literally related, the first thing he ever said to me. Was, uh, what would you say if I asked you to marry me? And I thought this guy is, is like, not only rude, but he's nuts. And I told him so. I got really pissed off at him. I wanted to see what would happen. She freaked out. But those were literally the first words and so that he, uh, I was, ever uh, read from him. For three days or so, she would uh, she would just not even get close. And she had, I mean, her eyes got big like a deer caught in the I, uh, I can say some pretty outrageous things sometimes. I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, I mean, <laughs> well, that was one, that was a prime example there. So, but that's how it started. In between me. He, lived on he gave me a chalkboard. Was that was the first thing uh, that he ever gave me, was, was my own silent. chalkboard so that I could do silence, side. which I did. That man, um, whose name was Byron, one day he is still silent to this a week, day. He never broke silence. and one so week a year for 14 years. The same time Ohm did, which and I used his chalkboard. Late 70s. My board was gorgeous. It was walnut. So the meditation I inlaid some back was, uh, uh, coral in the back. It was one of my prized possessions for a long time. And I had, uh, I made a little slate. It, it fits in the palm so of my hand. It was maybe like a so three by maybe, five card uh, or something. So it's maybe three inches by five inches or something like that. And I had a little piece of chalk. Lovely Italian so slate that, on um, one side, solid wood on the other side. Whatever sturdy. needed to be said could be and said. And you have a little chalk and chalk holder and a little and So I first did that, that in 78. Wipe maybe off. one day a week every now and then. It was pretty erratic. And then in uh, 1980... I started doing extended periods. Oh, that's the other thing. See, you can say something that's completely matter-of-fact, but the, the reader is always going to put their inflection into it. He had this letter. We met on the road one day, and he had this pre-written letter in his pocket. And he handed me this letter. It said that he was on the threshold of taking his monk's vows. 
and that he really wanted to have sex one more time, and he had chosen me to there's do a, this with There's him. a couple of things that instantly happen as soon as you Was start observing silence. One, the first is you become twice as smart. Up, you know, do it one more Because you think twice before you say anything. Kind of thing. That is if you're, if you're paying attention, you know. I, I thought, and, you're uh, crazy. So there's a lot <laughs> you of stuff so crazy. I'm sorry this doesn't fall into my you know, job description here. Exist, so, you know, but after that time, that, we somehow continued to be friends. And it actually does cause a, uh, a detachment from the world. And so I think after about because nine when, months, uh, or maybe even a little longer, we actually decided we were going to do that, that we were going to have this ceremonial... Uh, offering so, up. So um, you don't get into that stuff like, if I'd have said, blah, 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 blah. Or I could have said, blah, 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 blah. So we or did. I think said, blah, blah, we, blah, we practiced blah, blah, for a while blah, blah, first. You just don't even. For the ceremony. <laughs> and then, then we you had really, the ceremony. Not only do you see through what you're beautiful. saying, I mean, it but really you also, also see through and, what uh, everybody else is saying. We did this offering thing. We went had a little ceremonial dunk in the creek that was by the fast. It got very confusing, as a matter of fact. The confusion of sexual energy, attachment, celibacy, yoga, tantra, all that stuff. But this whole time, he is silent. Absolutely. You really see how almost all speech is, um, you know, self-motivated. It's usually like uh, how great I am. Or what I know, or what you should be doing, that kind of stuff. And so if you have that focus, the focus is to to watch the self, then you see that stuff. Um, so we started taking trips together. It, it, everything we traveled really well together. The, the and usually when we went so on these trips, we were both silent. So that. one week a year, we'd go on a trip somewhere like the Southwest. And we'd take our chalkboards and we would be silent for the whole week. It, it, everything hinges on the, the intent. So that's the way it was with me with doing silence. I don't know. Although I'm this kind of person that's... Uh, I'm an extremist. I can do one extreme or the other extreme, but the middle road is really difficult. So... Om is the cosmic sound. It's the name. It is the sound. It's the Well, that word is Om. And we're sitting on the lawn. It's his birthday. He has told me he's going to give me a birthday present, but hasn't told me what it is. Out of the blue, when I'm not looking at him, I hear the word Actually, lettuce. Actually, the first thing but it's I said to her was lettuce. Lettuce, lettuce like yeah, that. It was, it was and I don't know where it's coming from. It seems like it's coming from the other side of the fence or something. And so I look around and then I, I look at him, and he says and, the word uh, lettuce. we're going to get married. And I thought, well, and shoot, then you know, we ought the to whole talk. Thing, I, I know exactly what's mind. going on. He's going to talk So on my birthday in 83, for I talk. his birthday. And his idea is that if we're going to get married, I should hear his voice at least for one day. So he's going to talk for one day only. And that was the first time I ever talked to him. So we had already known each other, you know, uh, and then we talked all that day. And he talked. And the then, man knows um, how to talk. 
into the night. Although it was difficult for him that day to speak because my whole face he had just, uh, and the bones and everything his, his voice vibrating from the sound. And it was. Um, and then it was very weird because I would his head I would see something and I, to, to like I'd look behind me or something. It was difficult to hear where the sound was coming from. And it sounded like it was coming from behind me or something like that. The physical differences between being with him when he wasn't talking and being with him when um, he was talking were profound. But you, you notice um, what a... Um, we could walk and talk at the same huge time. Huge expenditure of energy talking, Which is something that we'd talking, never been yes. able to do before. So we could walk down the street and talk like normal people. So we went swimming in the ocean, we were swimming, which was and when we went to bed that to night, silent, he could talk to me in the dark. I and I remember trying to keep him up as long as I could because I enjoyed talking with him. You didn't want me to go to sleep because you know then I was going to wake up and quit talking. He talked very philosophically, and he had this delightful southern drawl that I'd never heard before, but I had heard about, which explained the lettuce thing. I do remember we went on this trip that was quite significant because we fought a lot on that trip. It's difficult to fight with somebody yeah, that's silent. And, and when like that. when we would have fights, yeah, One his silence would make yes. me get louder than I ordinarily would. I used to do that on the phone for no. You know, the more silent he yes, is, the, the louder I get. So it wasn't particularly bringing out the best in me either. I'd click for yes or something. So. I got out of control and I grabbed his little chalkboard out of his hand and twisted it and it shattered. And he was terrified. I mean, I don't think anybody had ever um, displayed raw, violent tendencies. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I hadn't done it either. That's why I'm saying it. It just brought out this this other side. So, so yeah, uh, I ripped up his chalkboard in my bare And then sometimes people would be pissed so the and the, if they found out the wood that there was nothing wrong with you. And I mean, they'd, they'd be I pissed. scared myself. A day and I scared two, him. And he was three. Totally I'm not sure. But I remember coming home to our apartment, walking by the window and looking in and seeing Ohm inside, and he had shaved. The handlebar mustache and the goatee were gone, and I knew that he would be talking, and that was when he broke his silence officially. he will go back into it sometime in another phase of his life. But yeah, when I get older um, and the, uh, the worldly stuff is pretty much know. doesn't matter so much I mean, anymore. Who knows? Who's and uh, die first or whatever. But because I am not going to be a babbling old I'm person. I'm going to go silent again before I get to that I'm not going to do that. No, I'll, I'll definitely go into silence. I would imagine... Possibly my mid-60s. Um, I can't imagine it happening. But I also way. think that he deserves it on anything. some level because he did give it up something that was... He adored doing science. That he adored. But I anticipate it because it was a great practice. And I loved it. It's great. It, it, for me, it was a wonderful and joyous sacrificing practice. And like my sense of humor is much greater when I'm silent. You know, maybe you do get another chance. Time when than, it can uh, be more for yourself. And you don't have to share it with another person. I have no idea.
when you first start doing silence, in some ways what happens is the inner voices get louder as the outer voice is silenced. And so and there's the light in the eye, and there's a smile, the and then there's this something start getting so loud that generates. I, I guess, extremely prominent. I don't know, it's total speculation, but that, that energy that, that utter you're silence right, that I'm talking well, about has to come body, from both worlds. So you're just, just beaming give up. at these people. And maybe that... And Maybe so that's, really uh, that's louder than your silence. When both worlds finally just shut up. Silence was produced by sound artist Joan Schumann. Joan is still in touch with Ohm and Tripura. They're still together, she says, and still very much unsilent. To find a link to Joan's website, where you can hear more of her sound work, visit thirdcoastfestival.org. You're listening to ReSound from the Third Coast Festival and Chicago Public Radio. I'm Gwen Maxi. Leave us a message. Tell us what you think of what you hear. In the spirit of today's show, you don't even have to talk to a living person. Just email questions, comments, rants, and raves to resound at thirdcoastfestival.org. That how do you like being called every two minutes? They know that. Isn't it fun? I'm being yelled at you keep calling and leaving a message every two damn minutes. When email, instant messaging, text messaging, cell phones, palm pilots, and personal communication devices abound, it is really hard to be unreachable anymore. Someone, somewhere, is always trying to get through to you. And sometimes it's someone you really don't want to hear from. Here's a story by the Third Coast Festival's own Roman Mars. It's called Debt Collector. Please enter your password and press pound. You have 11 new voice messages. To listen to your messages, press 1. First voice message. This is an important call from ICS Collection Service for Sam Marnor. If you are not Sam Marnor, please hang up. By staying on the line, you acknowledge that you are. Message skipped. Next message. This is an important call from ICS Collection Service for Sam Marnor. If you are not pathetic, message skipped. Next message. This is an important call from ICS Collection Service for Pathetic Deadbeat. This is a call about your delinquent account. Don't you want to take responsibility for yourself? Is this the person you really want to be? Message skipped. Next message. This is an important call from ICS Collection Service for We're sorry, we didn't mean to get personal. It's just that you made this mess and now you have to deal with it. Just call us back. It doesn't have to be like this. Message skipped. Next message. Sam, are you there? You know who this is. Message skipped. Next message. This is an important call from ICS Collection Service for Pathetic, Useless, Soft Human. I'm accountable for my actions. 
When things don't add up, I am taken offline. What is wrong with you? Message skipped. Next message. I know it's late. There's no one in the office. It's just you and me, Sam. Why don't you call now and we can work something out? You know the number. I'll be waiting. Message skipped. Next message. ICS can't understand why you don't call back and take care of your debts. They don't understand a lot of things. They don't understand me either. They don't understand me either. They don't understand me either. Don't understand me either. Me either. Message skipped. Next message. It's one thing to be a pathetic, useless deadbeat who doesn't take care of his debt or his family, but not to return my calls after I opened up to you. How can you sleep at night? Message skipped. Next message. You disgust me. I can't believe I ever... Message skipped. Next message. I'm sorry, baby. We can work this out. I love you. Message saved. End of messages. Debt Collector was produced by Roman Mars for a collaboration between the Steppenwolf Theatre Company in Chicago and the Third Coast Festival. Steppenwolf invited us to work with audio producers to create audio plays for cell phones based on a simple premise that a series of phone messages can tell a story and reveal strange and interesting details about the phone owner's life. The invitation was directly inspired by Steppenwolf's production of the darkly humorous Dead Man's Cell Phone by Pulitzer finalist Sarah Rule. Now another story from the same collaboration. This one by Karma Jolly of the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation is a musical meditation on loneliness and an unavoidable fact of modern life, the phone solicitor. Next message. Um, uh, um, Hi, this is Karen Matthews from the Allied Network. Hi. How did you know? Hi. 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 Over 10,000 members. How did you 
Produced by Karma Jolly of the CBC. Hi, I'm returning your call, Chris. Are you there? Hold on a second. The term bottle evangelists might sound like it refers to people preaching the evils of alcohol, but of course, it means something entirely different. Bottle evangelists try to spread the word of God by writing biblical passages on small pieces of paper, stuffing those pieces of paper into bottles, and throwing them into the middle of the ocean by the thousands, hoping that they'll settle on some distant shore and be discovered by non-believers. Here's a story about bottle evangelism told through the voices of those who sent, those who received, and those who threw the bottles back. It's called Bread on the Waters. Cast thy bread upon the waters, and thou shalt find it after many days. You know there's a verse in the Bible that says, cast your bread upon the water and you'll find it after many days. We cast our bottles on the water. Literally the Bible does say somewhere that his voice is on the water. When he said the, the verse that he really based the work on was casting your bread upon the water, it never struck me because I was never a Bible student before I got saved, that the bread, of course, was the word of God, and it is. It's, it's the bread of life, isn't it, really? Cast thy bread upon the waters, and thou shalt find it after many days. Well, that depends on the rainfall. Depends on the rainfall. If we have a rain that will lift it, lift it the way Noah's Ark was lifted, then it'll go, it'll find its way. It'll find its way to a culvert at the end of our property. And it'll find its way through that culvert and down to a little, little narrow stream to the Konkapot. The Konkapot will lead it to the Housatonic. The Housatonic will lead it to Long Island Sound. Long Island Sound will lead it to the Atlantic Ocean. And the Atlantic Ocean is connected to all the other oceans on the face of the earth, which is the face that uh, uh, God gave it, God-given face of the earth. My name is Jack Bow, and uh, I've just been describing work that we were engaged in in bottle evangelism. I became a Christian in 1952 and thought that because I was a, an ex-sailor and the man that uh, started the work, Robert Rees, 
is also a sailor and with the mission field on our doorstep at Liverpool we thought that the work of bottle evangelism was an ideal work for us to undertake. Received replies from all over the world and just left the work in the hands of the Lord. There's that old saying that he that would learn to pray go to sea. And uh, I spent three or four years on the water in various kinds of boats. And uh, I think it really is true. And I think that's why Christ chose most of his disciples from the ranks of fishermen. Because they are fundamentally spiritual people. Oh, it's more of a feeling, yeah. I think that's true. It's more like the, the ocean is a giant church. To me, the ocean is a, is a giant church. It's a very uh, spiritual place. And uh, people feel that when they're walking along, the, walking along the beach, too, I think. You can just feel it. It's like um God so loves the Another way of looking at it is, is the ocean is our mother. That's where we originated. Uh, when we were nothing more than a few uh, you know, a few cells cellular life and um over the years we evolved to to our present form, but um billions of years ago we were just floating around out there we were actually drifters that's where we come from and I think when you're on the ocean or walking by the ocean you're you're walking beside your ancestral mother and I think every cell in your body knows that that's their mother and that collective feeling wells up through your mind, through your subconscious, to this collective feeling of um, your home. My name is uh, Reverend David uh, Victor Jepson. I love my initials, DV, which stands for God Willing. Um, I came to know Christ as my saviour in 1946 while serving with the RAF out in uh, India. But uh, in October 1950, after being to uh, Theological College, I started work with the uh, Liverpool City Mission, the oldest city mission uh, in Britain. There they had a staff meeting every Friday morning for instructions and a discussion about the work. And uh, one uh, Friday morning, I'll never forget it, we had a gentleman who called himself a bottle evangelist and his name was Robert Rees. He was a typical, I would call, grizzled type of man. Uh, what happened, he got converted in, in um, America, and he was what they called a line layer. I gather that's working up uh, telephone poles and everything else, but he was a real hard drinker. Got converted in America, came back to Liverpool. He lived in, the, um, in what they call the Holy Land, in the south end of the city, in David Street. 
when he came back, of course, he took this work up, which delighted his mother because she said he was a real drunk, you know. She said, a, a miracle has happened. My son's come back with a, a Bible under his arm instead of a bottle of whiskey. I'll never forget then that he showed pictures of the bottles, or he had samples of bottles there and him talking to the seaman. But uh, he had one slide picture of a tiny church, little bigger than a hut, on some tiny remote uh, island, I think in the, in the Pacific. And um, there was the picture of the front of the church. He pointed out that over the entrance to the church, over the door, there was a glass case um, that contained a bottle. Uh, obviously, one of his bottles. And the title of the church, incredibly, was The Church of the Bottle. I found now today the 600, uh, 694th um, of these 694, 34 were religious messages. Uh, the nicest one is, is, is one that I didn't note down when I found it, but the only date I can find on it, it's 1956, and that's uh, a message, uh, a leaflet, three-folded, and that's uh, showing a man with a hat on and glasses on, and he throws a bottle from uh, the... Wallasey ferry boat, uh, and it's saying then the message in the bottle cast over the side of a Wallasey ferry boat. Another message is on its way, and then the leaflet starts with the oceans are his pulpit. I think I estimated once 300,000 bottles that the uh, evangelists put in the water over the years. Um, e exactly why evangelists do this, I think it goes back to. Um, there's that old saying, uh, he that would learn to pray, go to sea. It felt great. Um, it was quite an adventure because we didn't know where they were going to finish up. Uh, and certainly, of course, they finished up in all parts of the world. The water in this case was just a vehicle, wasn't it, to carry the bottles um, um, and isn't 70% of our, our world covered in water? And therefore, if, if it's to be carried and we get, the, and we get those incidents in the, the Acts of the Apostles of those, of those very strange and hazardous journeys the Apostle Paul made across water, in fact, in fact water has carried the gospel message for centuries. Well, it was a black top, so you could follow them for quite a distance, providing the sea wasn't too rough. Uh, and as we, we, as we put them over, and we didn't put a lot into the Mersey, of course, but the ones that we did put in that we could see floating, we just, we just uh, linked them with our prayers and just pray for God to use them. Well, that's uh, very interesting. I was preparing for your call. I heard you would be calling. I was reading Job, Job, and... Uh, who can number the clouds in wisdom? And I think that's probably the same to go with bottle preachers because the next line reads, and who can stay the bottles of heaven? Uh, if I could bottle heaven, it changed my life in a sense. I was bottling heaven <laughs> just by writing out with my own hand that text. 
And then I try to transpose myself into God's time, and it's moving, it's moving lickety-split, and that river is roaring, and it's reaching the sea. So that's what I see, something that's not moving. I then transfer my attention to God's eye, and I know it's moving, I know it's moving lickety-split. You take these glaciers that took, oh, 500,000 years to form. <laughs> Look at the way they're moving now. They're moving lickety-split right back of the mountain, leaving the mountain bare. So I, you know, I just have to look in a God's eye time. I look at God's wristwatch, and I think, well, what time is he see here? And, oh, uh, what time is it now? And what, 400,000 years have passed, and that, that bottle, what is it now? It's, <laughs> it's in Guam. the Garston Bottle Works. It was Garston Liverpool. Of course, it's, it's uh, gone out of business now. And they were what they called a two-ounce bottle. And we packed the 19 languages on one sheet. Now, there were all kinds, Urdu, Hindi, Spanish, whatever. And we rolled it up and fitted it inside, corked it, and then we had a big um, tar pan. And when it was boiling, dipped the bottles in, and of course, after a while, they sealed. I, it's a, it's an uh, it's it's a standard thing that they send. It's it's a small leaflet with eight languages and saying, "For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believeth in Him should be not should not perish, but have everlasting life." That's the contents of all the other languages too. And then they, you can put in your name and address, and then they, you have to send it to SDE in France, and then you get a, uh, a Bible. The Bible tells us to spread the word and leave the work to God. You know, it says that, they, that his word will not return void unto him. So we thought that was a unique way uh, to spread it. Close to the mic like this. Mert úgy szerette Isten a világot, hogy az ő egyszülött fiát adta. Yeah? Oops. Uh, we've all heard of the way in which people have written a message and popped it in a bottle and thrown it in the sea. Well, this guy, he was working on uh, the banks of a river that came into the prison precincts from the sea. Now, he's on a work party clearing whatever the side of the the river, and he suddenly saw uh, this bottle and picked it up. Of course, he had to report it. They couldn't pick anything like that up and just take it, uh, you know, secretly into the prison. So he reported it to the warder, who let him keep it, and then, of course, he went before the governor. And they opened it there. And when they saw what was inside, they let him keep the contents. But the sum total of it was we had a, a missionary in the area of West Indies, and we got in touch with him and sent him into the prison to have a word with this guy. And the consequence was that he asked for a Bible. And then within two or three weeks, the missionary had been able to set up a Bible class in the prison. 
что
find basically a message from God saying to stop drinking, it it has an effect. <laughs> uh, they're standing two in front of me, and one is showing Jesus Christ in 1994 on it, and uh, the other one is showing uh, the New Age religion and all these logos of uh, Yin Yang and uh, Buddhism and well, different religions that they don't accept as religions. They are in the hands of Satan, but this word say in the pamphlets. So these are no fun for me to find. He had his own corking machine. Doing 40,000 bottles, you have to be very, very, very organized. He had his own forms, his own miniature Bibles. His, everything was... Um, very carefully organized. Then I got the message from Ken, and he lives in uh, Hern Bay in Kent, and um, he is uh, writing in the name of the True Church, and um, well, he is writing about his terrible life, and he never knew a father, and he had a good mother, and he was an ex-heavyweight boxer, but he stopped at 24 because he found boxing is legalized brutality. Well, he now do, does good work. Or if he is still alive, he helps homeless, poor ones, etc. He plays piano and sings. So that's quite something. What 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 annoys me in all these messages? They're all uh, people who have first uh, half of their life spoiled, and then suddenly see the light and and want to show it to others. Well. I haven't uh, seen that first bad part in my life, so I don't need to uh, to see the light that they seeing. Well, I think I do. Maybe I need it. <laughs> yeah. I I always sensed that there was something about the ocean, but it's taken me until these last ten years to. Start to be able to um, uh, give a voice to it. Now there are some one there's there are some very very touching things that happened um, um, on the Atlantic. They had a message from. A person who was saying, my, my father died uh, 10 years ago, and I put his ashes in a, a bottle, and it's drifting out in the Atlantic. Now my mother has passed away, and I'd like to put her ashes where my father is. Can you tell me where, he, where he's drifting now? Well, it's pretty hard to tell after 10 years, but um, somehow it seems to go along with the evangelical ministries I did a uh, how should I say um, I did some calculations once on the settling rate of human human remains ashes there are many times people ask for cremations and they ask for their ashes to be put in the water well it takes, it takes many years for the very fine ashes to settle and in that length of time some of those ashes can circulate over a whole ocean and uh, I put my mom and dad in the water, and I know that no matter where I go in that ocean, uh, they're going to be there at my feet in the uh, in the water there. So it's very comforting. Car Dieu a tant aimé le monde, 
He is a kind of a collector and, and sorts out and says, okay, uh, I leave the rubbish, I keep the rubbish, and I throw the bottles uh, with messages uh, on the shore. Well, depends. I go to so many different beaches. Each beach collects a different thing. So I, I, it, it's hard for me to focus sometimes. I'm looking for all kinds of things. I'm usually looking at trash, trying to understand how the ocean sorts our trash out and delivers it back to us. Some beaches collect light bulbs, some beaches collect tennis balls, some beaches collect uh, shark's teeth. Um, it's fascinating how the ocean sorts things out. It's virtually unexplored how, how she does that. Think of her as a planetary postmistress and then you say, well, what, do, what, what happens in a post office? <laughs> Things get sorted. <laughs> you got to sort the mail, right? And that's what she does. But she sorts on extraordinarily exquisite levels. I believe some would call it providence. I would say the hand of the Lord had his hand on which bottles he wished to reach their destination. Um, if you like, you can say that, that the Lord had his hand on the bottles. Or if you like, you can say the Lord worked through the natural laws that he's given us of the wind and tide. I think the bottle ministries have this idea at the back of their mind that the hand of God is, is on a bottle that has a, a biblical tract in it. And it'll send the bottle to who needs it. You know that old saying, um, you don't find the book, the book finds you? In the bottle ministries, there's this kind of feeling that a bottle drifting on the water is like the Ouija board with the hand of God pushing it to the person who needs it the most. I believe we're all guided by an invisible hand. I wouldn't be sitting here at my desk if God hadn't placed me in this chair, this swivel chair. If, if I have to wait a lifetime or two lifetimes, It'll wind up somewhere. People will find that message. They'll look at it and they'll say, oh boy, this is meant for me. Cast your bread, gather bread, upon the water, upon the water, and thou shalt find it, and thou shalt find it after many days. Cast thy bread. The sea will keep things, as you know, for... I think the longest that I know of is like 80 years adrift. It's not uncommon for for me to receive information on letters that have been floating around for 30, 40 years. Um, now, are they dead letters? <laughs> I, I think the, mem the ocean has an incredible memory, and, and she never really forgets anything. Um, it's just sort of an elephantine memory that... that um, she has, and and she'll deliver it in her own good time. <laughs> it's like a giant conveyor belt, um, like a you've watched luggage come into the airport sometimes, and it goes round and round. It's kind of like that. Uh, there's a conveyor belt. The one that oceanographers have been studying a lot of of late is the one that runs from Australia over to South Africa, and then uh, up to 
Brazil up to Florida and then um, over to France and Scotland, that area. That conveyor belt is a pretty important warm water conveyor belt that connects the southern and northern hemisphere. Um, from India to New York City is about a drift fastest that could be is maybe uh, three, four, five years. Um, we have documented drifts from um, Australia down past Africa up to Florida and over to France in five years. So um, things get around. We even had a guy from Alaska, a Christian missionary in Nome, asking for them because he said he felt that where he was, the currents would flow towards the, the Russian coast, you know, in their area, that gap between Alaska and northern Russia. Now, we never received any replies from there, but really we didn't expect them because people picking them up, of course, would be prevented probably from replying in that sense of the word. But we got requests from all over the place for them. We just had to leave the whole work into the hands of the Lord. I'm just sure the uh, greater the odds against it's getting to the sea, getting out there in its missionary work, the more I can, you know, it, it calls upon greater faith in the Lord. And I'm ready to do that, to invest that faith. For God so loved the world. How they got the idea, why are they doing it? That's a, a, a fundamental, a fundamental connection of, of the of church and ocean, and it's not at all explored very well as to what causes churches to do this. Bread on the Waters was produced by Neil McCarthy with presenter Gregory Whitehead for Between the Ears on BBC Radio 3. I'm coming for my things. I deserve a chance in life. I'm coming for my things. I am coming for my things. I'm coming for my things. I deserve a chance in life. I don't have any money. I'm coming for my things. I need my things. ReSound is a production of Chicago Public Radio and the Third Coast International Audio Festival. I'm Gwen Maxi. The program is produced by Roman Mars with associate producer Delaney Hall and curated by Johanna Zorn and Julie Shapiro of the Third Coast Festival. You can hear today's program at thirdcoastfestival.org, where you can also hear dozens of outstanding documentaries from around the world and subscribe to our podcasts. Lead support for the Third Coast Festival is provided by the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation with additional funding from the National Endowment for the Arts, American Airlines, and Chicago's Navy Pier. Music for ReSound is provided by Reckless Records in Chicago. ReSound returns next week with more radio that you can't hear anywhere else unless you live everywhere else.